So day three was really exciting because um, we rode our first double-decker bus, which um, for the Harry Potter fans out there, if you've never ridden a double-decker bus in a busy city like London, it is almost pretty much exactly what I would imagine riding the night bus would be like in Harry Potter. Um, the The lanes are very narrow and traffic is busy and buses always have the right of way and they don't wait for people to give it to them. So it's a lot of swerving into oncoming traffic and just trusting that the other drivers will stop. Um, it was exciting, definitely. Introducing that kind of chaos would make me very nervous if I'm a nervous driver in big cities. But I have to say, it just works. Oh, they do it beautifully. I didn't, after like five minutes of like, oh my God, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> I felt totally safe the whole travel, like the mm -hmm. whole trip. Every Uber driver, we had only a couple with, with different uh, trips just among our travel. But the few Uber drivers we had were chaotic as shit. But I felt safe because uh, I know what they're doing. The double-decker buses were different in the point of view for being upstairs, which is kind of cool. But I felt safe. And the bikers are swerving in and out. People just kind of cross the street when they need to. And yep. hopefully they get out of the way when the bus comes. But people are blasting through. Um, it was kind of chaotic at, at first, but it was just really cool to see how uh, the city just kind of runs itself. And people are, again, the, the amount of respect people have for other people and awareness of themselves and each other uh, was really impressive. I will say if you get carsick, though, that that is the place it will happen is in London traffic with Uber drivers or on the double-decker bus. So heads up. But uh, we took the bus to Camden Market. And one of the things I was really excited about for London was the open markets. Um, they have several at various places throughout London that are historic um, and this one is built in some old horse stables from the 1800s. So um, it's a cobblestone building and they've got hundreds of little shops all throughout it. Um, they have a bunch of different food. Uh, we got there really early again, so we um, it wasn't very crowded. Emily and I ended up going back later in the day when it was totally hopping and it was a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we were able to get there early. We actually um, did some clothes shopping, found some pretty cute clothes. Um, yeah. What was your impression of Camden Market? It was awesome. It was kind of like its own little town. It's a, it's a open air market and kind of inside as well. It's, I don't know. It's cool. They had these little alleys. Um, they actually had Italian alley, they call it, which was awesome. So they had like Italian culture and shops and stuff, but also like a bunch of Italian food mm -hmm. out and about pizzas and, and desserts and gelato everywhere. Oh my God. Uh, but it was, it was awesome. And kind of on the other side of that, um, it was divided up into uh, kind of an Asian Middle Eastern area where again, they had cultural shops and things like that, but they also had food. food. So it was unbelievable. Um, I thought it was great. We, they had two, two, well, maybe like three stories, if you will. They had like a main courtyard, of course, where they have like a lot of food and shops and things, but they then they have basement. like, yeah, they had kind of a basement area with some like thrift shops and cool, like throwbacks. They had some really cool vintage shops. They had like a nineties vintage shop, which is funny that nineties is vintage, but that was badass, was dude. Really cool. It was like our high school <laughs> wardrobes that were like throwback, super hip. Uh, hey, man, there was some funny. sweet overalls there. And if I had had enough room in my suitcase, I probably would have brought some home. Totally. And I thought what was funny is uh, I'm a, a football fan, uh, American football fan. Um, and because we're in Europe and American football is just like so 
like back of the brain over there. Um, they had a bunch of kind of like primetime players uh, yeah, in the yeah. NFL that I've gro- I've grown up like idolizing. And I know for sure from collecting them uh, when I was a kid, the jerseys are 50 to 100 to 200 bucks, depending on who you're getting, the style of jersey, the quality, all these other shit. They had throw like an Emmett Smith jersey, who for those of you that don't know is one of the most prestigious running backs of all time in the Hall of Fame and and uh, the leading rusher of all time in the NFL. His jersey on the fucking discount shelf was like 30 pounds. So it was like $35, $40 for this jersey that in America even used guaranteed is 150 bucks. So yeah. I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, really cool though, uh, the throwback 90 spot I thought was a, a fun store. Another one that we thought was a kick. We didn't actually eat there just because it wasn't quite the time but the serial killer store was the serial killer cafe. Super cool. Um, essentially, it's it's uh, like a Cold Stone Creamery, but with cereal. Totally. So you you yeah you get a you get a, a milkshake or ice cream or whatever, and you get your favorite sugar filled cereal. The reason oh, yeah the reason we didn't eat there is look, I'm all about some Apple Jacks or Fruit Loops or whatever, but these days. I can't handle that shit. We haven't really <laughs> eaten much yet that day. Yeah, either, Rice Krispie so. treats or, you know, cinnamon grams or whatever. Not really my vibe these days. If they had like real cereals, like granolas and stuff, probably would have got some. But nonetheless, it was really cool to see and check out. But you basically, at the bar, you order a kind of a milkshake. You pick a milk. They also had alternative milks, which I thought was cool. You get one of those. You can grab a bowl of cereal, head in the back, and hang out. They had arcade games and shit like that. Super fun. Uh, walking through, they also had a giant big screen TV. Which, looking at it at first, I saw a bike race. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I just had this thought, like, we're in Europe, and it's that time of year. I think that's the Tour de France, but Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure. Turns out that it was, and it was kind of cool that they had broadcast live the Tour de France in this giant courtyard where you can eat lunch and watch that. Um, And They had, like, cornhole games set up and stuff, too. Totally. And it was just... It was just kind of cool, like being in London, we're not too far from France all of a sudden. So it was kind of like a, a local event-ish, which I thought was really fun. And then upstairs, uh, they weren't open yet because it was pretty early, but they had a bunch of like smoothie type cafes, like a cabana vibe and stuff. And then um, anyway, it was really, really cool uh, to walk around this this open market that we thought. And we kind of realized after the fact that that district itself was kind of like the hip nightlife Hipster, if you will. Yeah, so it was kind of a it was a non traditional London uh, neighborhood, I guess I would I would say. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Um, That was though when we we split for the first time. We had we we had been uh, together as a a group the entire trip so far, Um, but that was our first separate separation. Grandma and I just kind of stuck around for lunch. We got to hang out for a little bit, got some delicious food. Uh, she got some falafels and stuff, which were amazing. I got some Thai food, which was great. And um, we just kind of hung out. Then her and I took a trip to Ikea, which we would call Ikea. The Swedes call it Ikea. Uh, we went there for um, some actual home uh, we had some errands to run because we actually were there for some business. So we had to just uh, do some errands. So we went to uh, Ikea for the afternoon. We got home. But UNM had yeah. a much more we uh, kind, of, kind of exciting. Uh, Graham and I were on business time. UNM got to have, have a little bit more fun. Uh, take us through the rest of your afternoon. Yeah. So um, I going into the trip, I knew that I wanted to um, make sure I took some time to take Emily out, just her and I. Um and, and high tea was one of the things I think we both wanted to experience while we were in London. So we went to a place called One Aldwick, um, 
and it's in a hotel, but they have a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory themed afternoon tea. So we were both really, really excited, um, and it was such a blast. Starting with stepping into the elevator to get up there, it's like this mirrored elevator that is very similar to the way Roald Dahl explains the elevator in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the book. So right off the bat, it's like super magical. Um, and and walking in, the service was amazing. The atmosphere was amazing. Um, our waiter very quickly identified that we were not from London and we had never experienced high tea. So um, walked us through everything. Uh, they had four different kinds of teas. Um, and then a savory course and a dessert course, and all of it was themed after Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So that was super cool. Um, we tried as many different things as we could. They were really accommodating to food allergies, which is always really comforting when you're traveling. Um, as soon as they heard that I was allergic to nuts, the kitchen actually prepared me a completely separate savory and dessert course. Um, and they were able to come out and walk me through what everything was. Um, it was served. All the portions are just adorable and tiny. Um, and I know that the savory course was good and there were things I got seconds of, but the dessert course was was the memorable part. Um, it was like hand spun lemon floss and chocolate banana shakes and um, there was this like strawberries and cream dish that had pop rocks in it. And we got to try clotted cream. There was a, a pineapple clotted cream that I ended up just eating by the spoonful, even though that's not really what you're supposed to do. Um, so that was a really fun experience. I highly recommend it. Um, if you're in London and you're looking to do something that is traditionally English, afternoon tea would definitely be it. And I actually looked into a lot of different places to experience afternoon tea. It's not the cheapest adventure, um, but One Aldwick is actually one of the more affordable places and I our experience overall there was amazing. So um, we would definitely go back if we were there again. And as Emily always says, um, her dessert stomach always seems to have more room. <laughs> uh-huh. So it, our, our dessert stomach actually filled up quite quickly with this one. So any of you parents out there probably know the feeling of going through cooking an entire delicious dinner for your family and your children and them either mm -hmm. guffawing or taking two bites and saying that they're full. Fair enough. But then all of a sudden, 30 seconds later, they have plenty of room for uh, ice cream or pie or cake. Yeah. And Emily has been pulling that move from day one. Uh, lucky for her, this trip happened to be specifically about the dessert. It was specifically, <laughs> it was specifically catered to the dessert stomach, which is awesome. So that was a fun trip for you two to kind of have some yeah. like mom daughter we, time we and wore get away our from matching everybody. Jumpers before we left for our trip, we went shopping to find shoes that we could walk around in and break in before we left, and we found shoes, but we also found these linen jumpers. And both actually really, really liked them enough to to both buy them in different color schemes. So this this is the day that we actually wore our matching jumpers. And the fact that um, our 15-year-old wants to match with me out in public, uh, it does not escape me. I'm very touched by that. We actually got some really cute pictures of the two of us together in our matching jumpers. So that was a really, really special opportunity for her and I to just kind of reconnect and spend some time, just the two of us. Twinsies. Twinsies. 
Meanwhile, Grandma and I are pulling our hair out in <laughs> Ikea. Uh, we had taken a trip across town, um, bus and tube and everything else. We get to uh, Ikea. And if anyone's been to an Ikea, um, I, I had somehow never been to one before this. My first experience was in London. Really? Never been to one. Oh, wow. Um, I know all the hype. I've heard about it. I actually grew up in the Bay Area and we had one. I, I passed one on the way to work in college for five years straight. Never went to one. Whatever. I went to one the first time with grandma to, to get some, uh, basically some some flat supplies. We were there to to get, you Book know. Yeah, and towel racks. Exactly. Stuff for, for the apartment, the flat we were staying in. So we go around, we have a shopping list, whatever. Well, I didn't understand it was a mall under one roof. So we get there. It's two stories. We travel the entire upper floor before we realize nothing we're looking for is upstairs. It's all downstairs. And meanwhile, you've already been there for an hour. Oh, dude, at least. You have your whole bedroom set picked out for your dream house yeah. five years down the road, but you still have zero towel. But rides. not in the cart. So we go downstairs <laughs> and we find out everything is there. We finally get to uh, IKEA, no problem. Well, this was the first time that we opted out of, we're all the way, well, we're not all the way across London per se, but we're at least an hour from the flat. This is the first time we decided to actually call an Uber instead of taking the tube or a bus because we literally just had too much for the two of us to carry. Um, with uh, we, had, we had a couple bookshelves. Uh, we had a little mini garbage can. We had towel racks. We had uh, uh, a duvet cover, all these things. So too much to cover, so we called an Uber. Uber shows up in 10 minutes. Everything's great. Um, I wanted to quickly just talk about our Uber driver because I thought it was just so refreshing um, with just, I don't know, the perception of people in general, especially in America. And I was just very excited to meet this gentleman. Um, so our driver was very nice. Um, he's originally from Pakistan. He's been living in London for 15 years. And aside from driving Uber, he actually plays for the London cricket club team. So we don't really have cricket in America, um, in the United States, but, uh, London is huge, pretty much everywhere else in the world, much like soccer. But he plays for the club team, which I thought was really awesome. Um, and he gets paid for that. He plays kind of semi-professionally. Uh, I just thought it was really cool to get to know him. He was a younger guy, and um, it was really cool to meet somebody from somewhere else in the world, at, at, like Pakistan, in London, and talk about kind of a world sport. I'm a sports nut. Uh, cricket, which is really cool. And he's semi-professional, which is really awesome. On the way home or back to the flat, he also kind of doubled as our tour guide on the way back. He was super open, very cool, um, basically just like, do you want to know about London? Because on the way home, I can tell you whatever you want to know for free, uh, which was awesome. So he kind of volunteered to tell us a bunch of touristy stuff on the way home, which is great. We had about 45 minutes. He told us about where the American embassy was that, as he called him, Mr. Donald Trump uh, had been there recently. And our Uber driver and uh, brother had actually, uh, they also drive for fast food chains and they had um, delivered food to Donald Trump and his staff uh, during his last trip to London, which I thought was. What kind of food did they deliver? Interesting. Fast food. <laughs> he drives for a fast food company and that's what he delivered Donald Trump. Gross. 
So our president's <laughs> fucking killing it in the yeah. health department. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we discussed music a little bit. I took that opportunity, of course, to, to introduce him to Soul Seed. I showed him uh, our new single, Shades of Green, which he was really pumped on. So I actually ran back up when I got to the flat. I ran back upstairs. I grabbed him a couple CDs that I had brought, and I gifted him the CDs, and he was super, Mind super you, stoked. it's five stories up. So by the time Sky ran upstairs, I was, it was huffing. quite comical. I was definitely huffing. <laughs> Nonetheless, it was, it was the time to act, and I wanted to get some Soul Seed music into London, and, and this guy was really receptive to it, and job, uh, he was Good stoked. Job. So anyway, we, um, we got back to the flat, had a great time with the Uber driver, really. It was it was cool because I think a lot of people kind of get into an Uber. They don't talk. The Uber driver doesn't talk. They have this awkward like 20-minute drive what? somewhere. That's such a shame because that's part of the fun of I don't do Uber. that ever. We took like four or five Ubers in our trips. And every time I got in the car and if the Uber driver could speak English well enough to have a conversation, which was not always the case, which is fine. But if they could, then we tried to communicate as best mm -hmm. we could, which I thought was, was so fun. Um, nonetheless, we got back. Uh, we went down the street to get some Vietnamese uh, some Vietnamese food, some of the best pho I've ever had in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal, phenomenal. We had a great uh, dessert, which do you want to, uh, Mentioned the dessert, um, the yeah. coconut dessert. Oh my gosh, it was so good. You were a little, again, you being allergic to nuts, sometimes you got to be a little bit concerned about that kind of stuff, but we we definitely hit a score here. Yeah, we got it was um, coconut sorbet, I think is what they called it. Um, and it was served in a frozen coconut shell. And um, they usually put peanuts on top of it. They didn't for us that time, but it was so good. I still um, am dreaming about it. <laughs> it was delicious. Yeah. Uh, so we had a, a wonderful dessert there. And then um, we went back. We finally, that was just kind of maybe two or three blocks uh, from our flat. Yeah, that was the cool thing about um, London. And I think you can say this about any big city is that there are things within walking distance that are amazing. Like I, one of the things people told us before leaving is that the, the places we were going were rather boring food wise. But um, while traditional fare may have been unappetizing to some, we actually totally scored in the food department. We ate a ton of Indian food, a ton of Vietnamese food. Um, a lot of Thai food, Italian of, food. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was we amazing. ate food from all over the world. Um, uh, grandma had the uh, like a vegan falafel, uh, which was delicious at the Camden Market. Um, I ran into some uh, Pakistani food, which was delicious. The only other time I've ever actually had food from Pakistan traditionally was actually at Oregon Country Fair, believe it or not. Oh, interesting. Many, many, many years ago, and it was delicious. And I, I took another opportunity to uh, have some of that as well. So very, very good food uh, from all over the world. Um, went back to the flat after dinner. Uh, em and grandma kind of called it a day and you and I, after two days, finally had a few minutes to ourselves, tavern. finally had a few minutes to ourselves, literally 50 yards from our flat is a, a an adorable little local pub. It's like a block away. Yeah. And, um, it's called the rugby tavern. Uh, we stumbled in, there was what, maybe three, five people in there at that maybe. time. They were, yeah. they, I think they closed at about 11. Uh, and we rolled in maybe. 9 30 10 or so it's kind of later i think it was later than that it was within a half an hour of closing okay time. um so we we uh pony up to the pub and as we mentioned in our uh our kickoff episode to this series we're not big drinkers uh per se but um you know we enjoy the taste of a good brew and we're in england and i'm gonna have a beer from non you know non-traditional beers that i've had before so pony up to the bar and um Oh, I actually have in my in my notes right here. We got in literally 15 minutes before closing. Yeah. Um, but the bartender 
Nick, who became one of my good buddies uh, <laughs> in a couple of days. He was super sweet. He greeted us with a smile and a cold pint of Britain's oldest brewer, Shepherd Neem. Um, so we walked in, he gave us a, uh, we, I think we just split a pint the first mm-hmm. time. Right. Um, and it was delicious. We got to kind of talk with him, uh, about the, the history of, of the rugby tavern, what it meant and kind of the neighborhood in general. He was very kind, super open to us, um, kind of being in that touristy vibe. And I was open to him too. I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I'm going to cut the chase. We're not from here. I've got three days. What's what hot? Do do? Yeah, what's up? And he was so sweet and just like, yo, you got to check this out, this out, this out. All these things are within walking distance. So that was very, very cool. And um, so we hung out at the pub for a little bit. And uh, eventually he uh, he kicked us out once um, it was closing time. And we, again, walked right back to uh, back to the pub and, and hung out for a little bit. And um, basically got to sleep around midnight that night. And, uh, you know, just, again, had a nice kind of mellow evening and that was the first night i remember kind of falling back into a schedule i didn't feel yeah, rushed I was really to go to surprised sleep or... at how quickly we adjusted and i think i you know the first morning waking up super early was a little disorienting but um you know day two is really when i started to notice my mm-hmm. my rhythms were adjusted yeah and by the end of day three here i felt Kind of like on London time yeah. for the first time. I, I, I was going to sleep on time. I was waking up uh, on time. So that's a wrap on day three. Yeah. Day four was a very busy day for all of us. Uh, it was but also it, our last full day in London. Eventually we separate, which we'll get to in just a second. But we kick off the day again. Woke, we all woke up about 8.30, which felt like normal for the first time, right? Um, and... Woke up to construction on the building, and we realized that again, London is continuously under construction, essentially to uh, combat the humidity in general, but also father time against the old buildings and the art. So we realized that there's just constantly yeah. construction happening, and in, in it being a loud city. So immediately we walked to the British Museum, which again is free, which was fucking yeah, amazing. Yeah, and it was in the neighborhood we were staying at. Nick, our our bartender at the pub the previous night, is actually the one who um, suggested it, uh, partly because it was so close and it it's an amazing museum, and also because um, the forecast was that it was going to be the hottest day in in England history. The UK. Um, in the yeah. UK. Uh, so we were looking for places that have air conditioning, which coincidentally air conditioning in the UK means something completely different than an American's version <laughs> of air conditioning. Um, it was not air conditioned. No. <laughs> yeah. Giant fans. Uh, Blowing push- hot air around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the British Museum contains the story of human culture from its beginnings to present day covering histories of ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, and Rome, Asia, Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and the Americans. Everywhere, essentially. Um, and the British Museum was established in 1753 and is now home to over 8 million artifacts in over 70 galleries. Um, I had mentioned in our kickoff episode and throughout the trip, yada yada, that I'm not a huge museum guy. And just as a caveat, I don't hate museums. <laughs> I just, if it's one or the other, if it's, hey, let's go do this or let's do a museum, I'll probably choose something else. But in a family environment and like, hey, group, we're doing this today. We went to the uh, 
British Museum. And I have to say, I was fucking blown away. It was I unbelievable. I could have spent days there. Totally. I think this is also the day that we were like, hey, let's come back in the winter because it's not going to be as hot and it's not going to be as crowded. And we could spend five days here Absolutely. in this museum alone. We had a blast. It was a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, what were some highlights for you at the British Museum? Oh, gosh. There were a lot. Um, but I think the cool thing about the British Museum is that you, similar to the National Gallery, um, could stand in front of these things that you learned about in school as a kid or growing up. Um, they have pieces of the Parthenon there. So you're literally standing in front of a piece of one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, things that were fundamental in history and legend and and myth and stories that we hear about growing up and they are right there they're huge um and and it's incredible to see and learn about the way it connects to its culture of origin and and how that's held up over time um that there are sculptures from the parthenon there and the detail of these marble sculptures that were made in i mean i don't even remember thousands of years ago though. And, and they're still absolutely incredible. Um, some of the other things they, you know, they have a couple of rooms on Egypt. So, um, looking at sarcophagi and things coming from, from tombs and the significance behind the way they did what they did, um, was a huge highlight for me. They have one of the stone heads from Easter Island. Um, so that was really uh, kind of humbling to stand in front of. It's huge. And knowing that they have no idea where the stone came from, who made it, how it got there, what the significance is of it, and just seeing how very large it is was amazing. Um, they also have the Rosetta Stone. Yes, the Rosetta Stone. And I actually never... Which, holy shit, it's huge. It is, it's huge. <laughs> and I, I wasn't really aware of exactly what the Rosetta Stone was until we saw it. I... I um, knew it was a big deal, but for those of you who don't know what it is, it is essentially, um, the key to understanding Egyptian hieroglyphics. So it is, um, it's got Egyptian hieroglyphics and then it's translated underneath that. And this is all carved into a stone slab and into Latin and, there were two or three other languages. So it's right there. So you can translate it directly from the hieroglyphics or translate things from one language to another. Uh, so it makes sense why the language software is called Rosetta Stone now. But it was it was incredible to be there right in front of it. Um, as well as they have uh, a library there. And I'm a huge reader, so anything having to do with libraries really draws me in. But it's um, modeled after... Uh, a historic British library, what they would traditionally look like um, with any any original copy of any book you could possibly think of. There's original Shakespeare in there and, um, you know, lots of stuff in Latin. And it was also the only air-conditioned room, like truly air-conditioned room in the entire <laughs> museum. What I, were some highlights for you? I really enjoyed... Um, the ancient Egypt section. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard all about it forever and in school and everything else. Uh, but actually seeing some of these, the mummification process and seeing like the, the detail on the 
caissons, coffins mm-hmm. that that um, people were put into before they were placed in these tombs is phenomenal. Like I think of a coffin in our culture, and I think of you know a wooden box, a white or a black box. It's just it's just jet black. There's no no detail, nothing. It's jet black, jet white, whatever, or you know light white, whatever, and um, no detail. When you look at these, they're hand painted, and they would take you know, months to create these and they were personalized to the person being put into. They were um, also personified um, as deities on their sarcophagi, depending on their station in life. So I thought that was really cool too. Absolutely. And it was just, it was incredible to see the detail that was put into them. I mean, the, their works of art themselves. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then, of course, the the mummification process, all that. I thought that was really interesting to see that. I've never seen it in depth in any other museum here the way that I saw it there. And um, the, Nav- the Native American yeah. um, and also the, the uh, Central and South American areas were beautiful, too, like the jade stones and um, the turquoise. turquoise holy and, shit. I mean, yeah. like some of those things were just gorgeous. The Native American culture was awesome. Um, my, I have I have native american lineage in my family history and um it was just really really cool to see Mm -hmm. kind of like the alaskan version versus maybe the west coast version versus the southern version yeah from um, a european perspective because i think we learn about native americans being citizens of the united states and growing up here in a completely different way and seeing um a different country's perspective like that was was pretty interesting um, a couple other things that stood out to me, there was one part um, in the rooms that were talking about ancient Roman civilization where there was an emperor who had a young male lover who wasn't recognized by society and he died tragically, which is code for um, he was killed because they were gay. And he mourned him so much that he put statues of him all over as different Roman gods. And I think that kind of struck me because, well, for a number of reasons, but just the cultural significance of that and that it's still something we struggle with, we still have work to do on. And um, I think putting a personal touch on these very stoic, iconic Roman statues and busts of emperors and, and having this idea of what Roman men were like and and seeing the other side of that, the softer side of that, that, you know, that it's not just war and masculinity, that there's this sorrow and this heartbreak there and, and that it's very real. And that, that really stood out to me. There was also an exhibit in the Americas section. Um, this, I believe it was a Canadian artist tracked, um, two different peoples, a man and a woman's life, entire life cycle and wove pills into this, netting. Um, and it was, it was part of a larger exhibit at one point on pharmaceuticals and our dependency on them. So it was like one pill for every, you know, every time they had to go on medication or whatever, and it tracked them from birth to death. And, you know, one of them dealt with cancer and one of them went, you know, through childbirth multiple times. And it was almost a mile long. So they weren't able to to display the entire thing, but it was just this very, um, and there were pictures from throughout the lifespan of these people that the exhibit was based off of. And it was just this very visual display of this aspect of our lives that 
we, I think we take for granted, but we also um, kind of blindly buy into sometimes and, and, and seeing how much of our life that takes up was, it was just very interesting. And it's still something that I'm kind of turning over in my head as, as far as processing how that affected me. I agree. And in overspending three hours in this, uh, in this museum, I found it really interesting to see people from all over the world reacting to either their, Mm -hmm. you know, background or someone else's. And it was just interesting to see kind of who was interested in what I I just, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and as you mentioned, this is literally the, well, it was Mark, it was, um, put out there ahead of time as potentially the hottest day in, in the history of the UK. It ended up being the second hottest day by like 0.3 degrees or something ridiculous. Yeah. Nonetheless, it was hot AF. So fucking um, hot. And that being said, with the no AC and stuff like that, it was getting stuffy uh, for sure. We eventually wrap up the museum, which was unbelievable. Again, we're in there for about three hours. We get out and this is where we split. Mm-hmm. Um, and you three went to the Harry Potter exhibit, which I'll let you dive into and go crazy in a second. <laughs> Um, and I, uh, took a solo mission, which I was looking forward to before this trip, because I knew you were all doing the Harry Potter thing. I'm not a Harry Potter hater per se. It's just not really my vibe. Mm -hmm. So I, I elected ahead of time in the, in the trip planning to not get the ticket and let you all just kind of do a girl's day. And I was going to do my own thing. And I was kind of looking forward to that just to like explore on my own and see what I, I got into. Uh, which I was really stoked to do, and yeah. I was I was excited to have happen. So I'll dive into kind of my portion really quickly and let you kind of end the day on on the Harry Potter movement, which I know is exciting for <laughs> you all. Um, so to dial back just a little bit, at the National Gallery a couple of days ago, I had we you mentioned the chalk artist, mm-hmm. right? Um, just beyond that. Was in an, Trafalgar oh, Square before we got there. The, yes, and there was a there was a kind of an open courtyard um, where people are out having lunch, uh, wandering about, and there were some buskers, right? And for those of you who don't know, buskers are kind of just like yeah, street performers. Um, and I could hear this voice singing out in the courtyard, and when I heard him singing, he He's was amazing. he was singing Nina Simone, mm-hmm. and I was like, yo, like. This is hot. I'm attracted. <laughs> I want to check this out. What's going on? So I stumble up on this kid, and I say kid because I I realize later that he's significantly uh, younger than I am, and um, stumble up on him, and I'm just like, yo, like this is awesome, and I'm just you know standing there watching him, and Emily found the uh, kind of the the bronze statue, the, the, bronze, the living bronze statue, yeah, yeah, which is so cool, and she was so sweet. She took a picture of the Emily, and it was way cool. Anyway, I see this kid playing, and I'm just enthralled right away. And he goes from Nina Simone right into Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, which is another great song. And I'm just blown away that this kid is singing these particular songs and the style in which he was singing them. And if you close your eyes, he sounded like Uh, these these women. He was unbelievable. Anyway, his name is Owen Hughes. And I highly recommend... Everyone check him out. You can find him on Instagram. Uh, he actually goes by O-V-V-E-N. So like oven, but Owen with two Vs. Anyway, I 
ask him later on to hit him up. Uh, I, I took an Instagram picture, a uh, video of him and I posted it online and um, I had a lot of great feedback from it. And he actually reposted my Instagram story about him singing and was just like, Hey man, thanks for the, the, the rep, whatever. And I kind of introduced myself as a general music head, music promoter uh, from the United States. And I just said, Hey man, you're great. Um, I'd love to interview you if you have some time. And he was so cool. He immediately got back to me and was like, dude, I'd be honored. That'd be amazing. Cool. So we, Fast forward to today when I'm talking uh, to day four here, we ended up meeting back at the cafe and I interviewed him for a good hour. I have an awesome interview with him that I'm going to drop at the end of this episode series. So stay tuned for that. Um, awesome, awesome interview with him. We talk about his upbringing. He's actually from Wales, uh, which is another part of the UK, uh, came over to London for school, started picking up music. And I talked to him about all that kind of stuff. It was really, really interesting to get his life story. Nonetheless, I spent about an hour and a half with Owen. Then I went back into the tube and I decided to take a trip across back to the London Eye. I hit that up. And then I also uh, ended up at the Tower of London the Tower Bridge and the London Bridge. Uh, and I just kind of spent the afternoon over there by myself for about six hours I had to kill, I think, while you were gone. So I was kind of traveling around on my own time. What was fascinating, I took all these pictures and all this stuff. And of course, it's Tour Central. The most interesting thing I found out after the fact when I posted pictures up online, one of my good friends was like, hey, cool pictures. But like the bridge that you said was the London Bridge isn't. That's Tower Bridge. London Bridge is like the little overpass yeah. over the over the uh, Thames River. And I was like, what? And I started looking into it. And sure enough, it was, which I thought was hilarious. But looking at the Tower of London was amazing. Um, seeing that just like literally a castle. I mean, it was like phenomenal to see that. Um, and then the Tower Bridge was cool. It actually went up to let some boats in and went down. So I got to see that process and then go over uh, the actual London Bridge, which I thought was really cool. So spent a few hours down there on the water, got around. I, I ended up in a borough market, which was really cool. And, and another open air market, which is really awesome to uh, travel through. I got an awesome like local fresh squeezed juice, which is delicious. A lot of seafood down there and things like that and, and buskers uh, all about. So I had a great afternoon. Um, but meanwhile, while I was out touring town by myself and, and, uh, underground for a while kind of like navigating the london tube by myself which was interesting I, I didn't off. well a i didn't have your help uh and because you were not there and b i don't have my phone i consciously didn't use my phone so i was like okay i'm going here to here and i had to remember to backtrack which i got through and it was no problem um but meanwhile you all were living a, a real life fantasy if you will um which is pretty cool so so uh why don't you round out the episode with uh with um Harry Potter, Harry Potter Day, which I know you're all much looking forward to, and uh, and we'll get into wrapping up our London trip. Nice, yeah. I feel like we should be playing the Harry Potter soundtrack behind us right now, but Fun. um, so I, a lot of people think it's silly if you aren't a Harry Potter fan, you don't necessarily understand it. But I like right off the bat, I want to say the first thing I took away from going on this, it's the Warner Brothers Studio Tour. So it's not Universal Studios. It's not the one where there's all the rides. It's literally a tour of um, the sets that they used for the movies. And um, it really, like, my takeaway was how much this kid's story has connected people and changed lives. And I don't think. I mean, I guess I knew that before, but going on a studio tour with a whole bunch of strangers kind of drove that home because right away, like, 
when you get to a specific train station, it's, there's a shuttle bus that goes to Warner Brothers Studio and it's like all decked out in Harry Potter pictures and stuff like that. So you know who's there to go and you know what we're there for. And you're talking to people and people are sharing stories about trips to Universal Studios or, um, you know, dressed up in their house colors and they've got shirts and different Harry Potter things that you can't get in your home country and you're like swapping stories and stuff like that. So that was really cool right off the bat. Um, but then they, you walk in and there is, um, it's all actual stuff they used on set for the movies and suspended from the ceiling. As soon as you walk into the studios is the dragon that broke out of Green Gringotts bank, um, in, uh, I think it was the Deathly Hallows and, um, and, and it's massive and it's just there hanging over you and the music is playing and um, it was just so cool right off the bat. But they, they start the actual tour with this montage of people, <laughs> I'm going to cry just thinking about it, talking about why Harry Potter was significant to them. So right off the bat, you're hearing like, oh, this changed my life because of this or, um, and then, you know, the the author talking about why she wrote the story and um, the stories that they've heard from people who have read the books. You hear about the fact that, um, you know, that the book sat on the bottom shelf of um, the company who originally took the book on to turn it into a movie for years. And it was actually given to some brand new bottom shelf intern so that she would have something to do. And she came to the morning meeting after reading it in one night, super, super excited and very adamant that the book had to be made into a movie. And you're hearing this from the CEO of the company that that did make it into a movie. And um, he says that she was so excited that he took it home. And for the first time in years, he read a book in one night. He finished it in one night and he went back to work the next day and contacted J.K. Rowling and said, we're going to turn this into a movie. So that was really cool. And then you go through and there's like, you get to tour the Gryffindor common room. And there are things from the movie that are there right in front of you, like um, the the Goblet of Fire and the cup that they all had to put their names in to enter the Triwizard Tournament. And they have the potions classroom set up and Hagrid's hut and um, the the burrow where the Weasleys live. And, and along the way, not only are you seeing this stuff um, up close and personal, but you're hearing stories from the actors and you're also learning about the people behind the scenes that, that put literal blood, sweat, and tears into the movies. So, um, it was, it was so cool and, um, it was totally magical. And I think like one of my favorite parts, um, there, I mean, there's a lot of really cool parts about it. Like you get to go onto the train the, that they use to get to Hogwarts and each of the cars has um, props that the actors wore during the train scenes in each movie. So it's like a timeline of what happens in the movie. Um, but they walk you through, I think they called it the maker studio. So there's video walking through how they did all of the special effects and made all of the creatures. And there's a lot of them in Harry Potter. So you get to see like the actual robot used um, for Voldemort's body right before they like, before Wormtail dumps him into the cauldron and he turns into 
what we know as Voldemort and um, like the the care of magical creatures book that eats people and and it's all right there and you get to see how it works and the people are talking about making it and um, and also how they make the costuming for the goblins and I didn't know that um, most of the goblins that are prominent figures in the movie are, is actually one actor and it's the same actor that played Willow in the eighties or nineties. Um, so they just talk about like the, the masks that go onto those goblins are like seven or eight different pieces so that they can move and it looks like actual movement. So it was just really fascinating to see what went into it. And the whole thing ends, um, in a room where you get to walk all the way around the largest model of Hogwarts. So um, you can see how the grounds are laid out and it's all, the lighting is magical and the music and, um, and then it ends in the gift shop where, you know, we went a little, we went a little wild. Emily really wanted a wand. So she got a wand and I think her wand is, um, she picked out Sirius Black's wand and um, I got myself a watch. I haven't worn a watch in years, but I love it. And, uh, well, Emily also was able to score some treats. Oh yeah. We got lots. That was one thing we got everywhere we went was, um, candy and local snacks from wherever we were staying. But we did go to the candy shop inside the the gift store. We got some fizzing Whisbees and some chocolate frogs, um, butterbeer. We did get butterbeer while we were there. They had butterbeer and they had butterbeer ice cream, um, and it was delicious and warm, but it was, it was amazing. I would go again. I could spend hours there. That's awesome. I'm really glad that y'all got to do that. I know that that was a, that was a highlight, uh, of the trip in pre-planning. It was. That was great. And it's, I mean, the Harry Potter series are, Emily's not a big reader, um, anymore. But when she was little, that was what we did before bed every night. And the Harry Potter books are something that we we read through. And once she was old enough to watch full movies, we watched those over and over and over and over again. So um, being able to walk through that and experience it together was, was pretty cool. And my mom was, um, you know, she watched a lot of the movies with us. And so having her there with us too was this nice little magical girl's day. It was great. And again, that's a, that's an exciting thing to do because we did so many tourist things specific to the areas we were going to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, Harry Potter's uh, a touristy thing to do while you're in England, but it's also. It touches um, people no matter where they're It's from. a world phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, like, you know, there, there are Harry Potter rides and museums and exhibits I would imagine more or less all over the world. And, but to see kind of like mm-hmm. the localized version uh, is way cool. And again, you know, Harry Potter's not, not uh, at the top of my list per se, but it's um, seeing the excitement between you three and the build up to it and then going through it and seeing all the pictures, hearing the stories and then seeing you now, how excited you are <laughs> about it. It's like, it's just really cool because like that it's, as you mentioned ahead of time or at the beginning of the segment that um, you walk in and you're getting testimonials from people who, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Harry Potter or uh, football or whatever. I mean, like things are touched by certain things and when it's that impactful to your life in a positive, that's really important. And it's just so awesome that this phenomenon has been what it has been to people. And the fact that you all 
are so kind of touched and moved by it in such a positive way. And it's such a history between you and Emily and grandma as well. And just kind of like this generation in general, multiple generations, really. Um, it's so cool that you were able to uh, go see that up, up close and personal and spend a whole day there. And it's still kind of on the like, do it next time list, even. Being oh yeah, there. absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so that's really awesome. And, and um, I think we all kind of enjoyed having kind of a split in time where I could mm-hmm. go do my thing and check out some things. Um, you know, the tower and the bridges and things like that was awesome and, and go about my own day, but you also uh, were able to do that too. And, and we had a good six, eight hours uh, separated, I believe. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Which was, which was nice. So um after our, our busy day together, we rendezvous back at the back at the flat and shared stories. And it was kind of cool to, to share the, the Harry Potter treats as a nice uh, nightcap, which is delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a good time. And uh, overall, it was a great kind of wrap up to London. And, you know, in the next couple episodes, we're going to we're going to tra- transition from London into Stockholm, which I'm really excited to talk about as well. But this was a great kind of uh, final day, if you will, because the next thing we know about London, we kind of woke up, got in, got in the Uber, and got to the airport and took off. So this was a nice, um, you know, re, uh, ending to our our days in London. And like I mentioned at the beginning of of all these episodes, we're going to have kind of a brief highlights and recap episode of London, Stockholm, and Amsterdam um, at the end of this series. But um, is there anything? London specifically, um, that you would want to, uh, maybe mention quick that we didn't, didn't get in here before our, uh, recap episodes. I know there was a lot, but that's a huge, that's a huge can of fizzing Wisbees. Yeah. I think I'm going to save that for our recap episode. That's something I think I'm still processing quite a bit of. Yeah. Cool. I, uh, one thing I wanted to add really quick over in the London sector, just for like 30 seconds is I had a great time talking to our local bartender. Yeah, he just was great. just because Nick was a super sweet guy, very very English, um, almost to the fact where I literally had to, a couple times I felt comfortable enough with him where I literally two or three times had to be like, hey man, please slow down and like I literally can't understand you. You're so thick. That was a surprising <laughs> thing about about London is that it was the only um, like English speaking country we went to, and it was also the hardest to understand people out of, out of the three places we went, I actually had the hardest time understanding people in London, which was just not something I anticipated. But that being said, he and I were able to communicate enough. We talked about the history of the rugby tavern, why it's called the rugby tavern, the history of rugby in uh, England uh, and cricket and everything else. And uh, I just had a really good time um, vibing with him and getting a local perspective on the area uh him nick uh, the bartender and owen the musician really were able to um allow me to like dive in as a tourist and just a person of curiosity to really dive into the local culture and uh what england and london specifically is about one thing i didn't do that i wanted to do was the rock and roll tour i didn't end up doing that uh just time didn't allow for it but it's on my short list for next time so that wraps up London for the most part. Uh, next time uh, on the next episode, we're going to go from London into Stockholm and we're going to knock out uh, Stockholm and our trip in Sweden.